Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained. This week, we're talking about redistricting and how it got all tangled up in the debate over vaccine mandates. Then we're going to give you an update on two bills that would make it easier to carry a gun. And finally, we'll bring it home with a plan to expand who can get prescriptions for medical marijuana. Co-hosting with me this week is Haley B. Miller, who now gets to say she is the first repeat host on Ohio Politics Explained. Welcome back, Haley. It's great to be here. I feel uh, very honored. Yeah. So the white smoke came out of the Capitol chimney on Thursday, which means we have a new congressional map. The map lays out the boundaries for Ohio's 15 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. And there's been a lot, a lot of fighting over where those lines were drawn. Yeah, I think that's certainly the understatement of the year. This process has just been absolutely crazy. Yeah. And so for starters, not a single Democrat voted for this map. It had to pass through the House and through the Senate. And because it got no Democratic support, it will only last four years, which means we'll be doing this again in 2025. And the biggest problem that Democrats had with it is just basically that it looks like it's a 13-2 map. Yeah, they there are two safe Democratic districts in Columbus and in Cleveland. And then there are a couple swing districts, uh, districts dubbed competitive under um, the different analyses uh, and Representative Marcy Captor's district and Representative Anthony Gonzalez's district. But, you know, Democrats really feel like the numbers just aren't there to give them enough of a seat at the table, enough of a chance in these elections. And with Captor's district in particular, I mean, she's been in office for a really long time. She's the longest serving woman in Congress. And now all of a sudden her seat might be in jeopardy next year. Yeah, it all comes down to how you define competitive. So Republicans are like eight points, which is 46 to 54. But, you know, most of us who follow politics are like, that's approaching blowout in terms of like an election. Like, you know, League of Women Voters and other groups have been saying that, first of all, competitiveness isn't one of the constitutional requirements. But even if it was like, it would take like a wave election year to overcome an eight point margin. Yeah, I mean, that's eight is a big number on an election day. I mean, that's a that's a pretty comfortable margin for a candidate to win by. You know, unless it's just a really close race. Well, I think, you know, an eight point spread is to the point where sometimes you see national groups not putting in money, right? Like they might look at a district with that kind of spread and say, we don't need to get behind the candidate because it's it's not as competitive as other seats. Right. We're not talking like a two, three percent margin here where, you know, things are neck and neck and every little vote matters. I mean, it's eight points is, is pretty pretty comfortable. The map passed out of the Senate, no problem. But then a group of Republicans in the House decided they wanted to play hardball. 
They said they wouldn't vote for the map until they got a vote on that vaccine bill that they had been trying and failing to pass for the last couple of weeks. This is the bill that would limit how businesses could use vaccine mandates, how vaccine passports, well, just would be outright banned. And it would add um, injury from a mandated COVID vaccine to the list of eligible conditions for workers' compensation. It passed out of the Ohio House late this Thursday afternoon and now goes on to the Senate. This honestly feels like the most Ohio politics thing to happen (laughs) so far this year. You know, Governor Mike DeWine has said more than once, you know, he's against requiring people to get vaccines, but he's also against requiring people to not get vaccines. The Ohio Chamber of Commerce has had a lot of issues with this legislation, and yet you have this, you know, faction of Republicans who are able to sort of leverage the kerfluffles over redistricting and say, okay, we're going to demand a vote on this bill or you're not going to have our support. So it was, you know, honestly- Yeah, a smart political move for sure. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it in the Senate. Yeah, Senate President Matt Huffman has been pretty clear that he is not a fan of this kind of thing. Um, He doesn't think we should be telling businesses whether or not to mandate masks or vaccination. So he's just sort of like let businesses make their own decisions across the board. And he, he pretty much controls what comes up for a vote in his chamber. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I guess in the meantime, they at least passed the map, but... Yeah, and they've, you know, I think House Republicans really, at the very least, wanted to say that they got a vote on this piece of legislation. So, you know, they've done their their work for their constituents who want this. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left... Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So our second topic also had a lot of heated debate this week, and that's because it dealt with arming teachers in schools. Ohio law says you have to take peace officer training, which is over 100 hours to complete, but this new bill would cut it down to 20 hours. Yeah, that feels like not a whole lot of time, but, you know, I this is something, you know, lobbyists have been pushing for for a while, I guess. You know, the debate in general over whether, you know, teachers should be armed in classrooms is obviously a sensitive one and a very contentious one. And so I think there are a lot of people, you know, concerned that this legislation could make, you know, the classrooms less safe in some ways. Yeah, um, the Fraternal Order of Police and a number of teachers groups like oppose this bill. But it's also worth noting that there are some school districts that came and testified in support of it. Um, and actually, the representative who introduced this bill, um, his father was a first responder at an Ohio high school shooting a few years back. Um So he has a real personal connection to it. And, you know, the way they look at it is in some of these more rural communities, response times can be 15, 20 minutes. And that's like a really long time in the event of an active shooter situation. So their concerns have been, you know, we could all be dead by the time the police get there, not to be too gruesome about it, but they have a legitimate concern given response time. Now, Democrats will say, well, let's find the money to give them a school resource officer. 
Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you know, I, I can see the argument that, you know, a school resource officer is trained. They do this for a living. But at the same time, money is hard to come by, um, you know, particularly when it comes to education. So, you know, this could be a way to, um, you know, get those that help and, you know, school buildings without having to, you know, spend some extra cash on it. And while they were at it, Republicans also passed a bill to create what's called constitutional carry or permitless carry. It's basically that you wouldn't need a permit to carry a concealed weapon in Ohio so long as it's legally your gun and you're at least 21 years old. Is this, you know, one of the things that first struck me when I heard about this, do we know if this has been done in other states? Because I feel like more often than not, I've heard, you know, you have the right to conceal carry, but you have to have a permit. You have to have, you know, the documentation to back that up. So there are a handful of states that have started to do this. It's sort of a trend uh, among gun rights groups to start pushing for this in more conservative states. They're actually, interesting to note, they're actually keeping the permit on the books for people who want it because we have what's called reciprocity agreements with other states who have concealed carry. So, and it's worth noting, if Ohio does this, and let's say you want to go to Pennsylvania, you may need to get that permit anyway to have your Ohio quote-unquote license recognized. So, it it will go away as long as you're within Ohio, but if you want that reciprocity, you may need to take it anyway. Interesting. So, what what are the opponents of this legislation saying about this? Well, the Fraternal Order of Police hates it, in part because it also removes the duty to notify that you're armed. So, if you have a concealed carry license... You're supposed to tell an officer like when you get when you start an interaction. So like a cop pulls you over and you're supposed to tell him immediately that removes that notification. And the Fraternal Order of Police said, you know, that means we're going to assume everybody that we stop all the time are carrying weapons and it'll add tension to these situations. Or, you know, what if somebody doesn't tell me and then I look in their car and I see it. And it's just, it makes them uncomfortable, especially this removal of uh, notification. Yeah, that's certainly not a way to increase cooperation and ease tensions, as you noted, between an officer and, you know, someone they're they're talking to. Yeah, and I was thinking even just for us, like the way we cover protests, you know, it is legal to open carry in Ohio, but then you can see the weapon. But now, like, if we go to an event at the Capitol, like, we should be under the like belief that it's possible that a lot of people within the crowd are carrying concealed weapons. That's a nice thought. Well, while you ruminate on that thought, um, our last topic is medical marijuana. So unlike some other states, Ohio has a narrow list of conditions for using medical cannabis, and it's actually proven to be really hard to get a new one added to the list. So there's this bill, which Haley wrote about, which would allow anyone to use medical marijuana if a physician determines it would alleviate symptoms. Do I have that right? Yeah, the bill does add a handful of other specific conditions, migraines, opioid use disorder, uh, spasticity, but there, as you noted, there is a provision also in there that basically says, you know, if a physician recommends that, you know, this would help someone's symptoms or help someone's condition, you know, they're able to access medical marijuana, which advocates are really happy about, you know, because they've said there are rare disorders that don't, you know, meet these specific criteria listed currently. And, you know, ultimately it should be left up to, you know, a doctor and their patient about the treatment that makes the most sense for them. And this legislation is also another example of bipartisan support on medical marijuana, which is hard to come by. The chief sponsor 
is a Republican and he has some support from uh, the Senate minority leader on this as well. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. For almost anything. But I think you could make that argument that perhaps, um, you know, prescriptions for opioids were a little too lax over the last couple of decades. And I think there'll always be bad doctors, but I don't know that that makes this bad medicine, if that makes sense. Yeah, the opioid aspect of this is interesting because across the country, a lot of people have said, I used medical marijuana to, you know, break my opioid addiction, basically. Opponents, you know, disagree. They say there's not enough research out there to suggest that, you know, marijuana can treat opioid addiction. And at the end of the day, should you be replacing one drug with another? So it's a pretty controversial aspect of this, but it's also something that other states have done. And one more thing before you all go, we took a deep dive this week into a bill that would ban transgender medical care for kids under the age of 18. Um, I think it's well worth a read to check out, especially as Ohio continues to debate this issue. We interviewed uh, a whole bunch of folks and I guess I'm tooting my own horn on this one, but I think it's worth a look if you've got a couple of minutes to spend with it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the quotes in that story that stuck out to me, you know, nationwide, we're seeing more and more anti-transgender legislation crop up in legislatures. And one of your sources said, you know, once upon a time we had the gay panic and now we have the trans panic. And I think that was a very succinct way of explaining where Ohio and many other states are at right now. All right. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like MarianStar.com. 